Proverbs chapter number 4. Proverbs chapter number 4. If you need a Bible, there is one there in front of you in the back of the pew. And if you'd like to grab it, we call it a pew Bible, but it's a Bible like any other. And we'd love for you to use it. If you want to find page number 394. Page number 394 there in that pew Bible. Otherwise, Proverbs chapter number 4. And uh, we are uh, endeavoring these next two Sundays to finish up a series we started a time ago. We've been interrupted by revival, Mother's Day, and many other things. And so it goes back a while. And so we're going finish it up these next two Sundays with some great instruction from God's Word. So I hope you'll stick around and listen carefully. The uh, title of the series is Rise Up and Build. And we talked about this reality. It's all based upon a verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify, literally meaning to build up, edify one another. And so uh, it says, even as also ye do. And so just encourage you, uh, we talk about the areas that we're to build up others, whether that be in our marriage or our home, our church, in our workplace, in our community, whatever the case may be, God has called us to do that. Now, let me put this out there. We've heard a lot of songs already this morning, a lot of truth about this reality. You will be completely ineffective to build up others until you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Until you have said, I I am a sinner and I need a Savior and Jesus Christ is that Savior. And the only way that I'm going to gain heaven and lose hell is through putting my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. My friend, until you do that, you will not have the impact that God intended you to have. The world is searching for purpose for life. The world is searching for meaning for life. Well, God has already told us there's a purpose and a meaning for life. It's to live for Him. And to fulfill the scriptures, and friend, the only way you'll do that is to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Henry, I don't know that when I die, if I'm going to heaven, I'm not for certain that, that heaven is my eternal home. Could I encourage you to get it settled today? In just a few moments, at the end of this message, this sermon, we will have what we call an invitation. And at that time, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'd like to invite you to make your way down an aisle. And we'll take God's precious word and we can show you how Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Though no man comes into the Father but by Him. And I encourage you to do that. Because everything we talk about today is founded upon that truth. That you and I have come to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Just a couple weeks ago, we left off with this blooming and building. Here's a call for you and I to bloom and build where we are planted. And that makes a better garden all around you. If I want my marriage to be better, if I want my home life to be better, my family, if I want my workplace to be better, if I want my church to be better, then I need to bloom and build where God has planted me. Using the tools that He has given us to do just that. And what are those tools? Well, God is the wise architect. He is the great designer. And He's given us a myriad of tools. It's our words, our spiritual gifts, our provocations, our companionship and camaraderie, our exhortation by the Word of God, our actions and our examples. All of these are those tools that God has given us. And certainly we could probably list some more that we have in our tool belt. That we have in our toolbox as Christians to build up others around us. To fulfill 1 Thessalonians 5.11. To build, edify one another. And so it's my responsibility to take up these tools and to build others in following God's great design as the architect and the contractor. You remember a couple weeks ago, husbands, you remember this? We shared this with you. As we focused in on using these tools in our marriage and in our home, we focused in on this truth. Proverbs 18.22. Whoso findeth a, a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth his favor of the Lord. Amen? Amen? Come on, some of you husbands, you didn't learn much last time. 
That's a great time to get in some good brownie points. Amen. Okay. Who's the find of the wife? Find it the good thing. That's what God's word says. So you and I now, we found a great thing. And the reality is both a wife and a husband, we need to be committed to building up one another. Boy, I'm telling you, we'll get into it today. Marriage is a gift from God. It is a blessing. And boy, there's a whole lot. I, I, I'm brimming over with just the truth of God's word about what marriage is and what a, a gift it is from God. We'll talk more about it. We talked about last time. Our words, using our words, and this is a true, no true statement has been made. These, there are no other words that mean as much or hurt as much as those words that come from the one to whom we have committed ourselves to for the rest of our lives. My friend, that is a great true statement. And husband and wife, can I tell you, you've got to guard your mouth, guard your words, because they hurt or they build up. You are able to do the work that God intended you to do, or you will tear down the work that God intended. We've seen that. And so as we talked about this, we talked about a husband's words. What ought they to do? They ought to cherish your wife. They ought to nourish her. They ought to build her up. It's edifying. It's a command to do it with your words. In a modern sense, it's to elevate her, build her up, give her security, and help her feel wanted. We said last time, and I'm not going to repeat everything, but you ought to tell your lover, and you ought to tell her daily, she's beautiful. You ought to remind her of that. Yeah. You say, well, Pastor Henry, she's got a mirror she can find out every day. No, husband, it's your job. Remind her. Let her know in your eyes she is the most beautiful thing that walks the earth. Friend, can I tell you, it will, it will benefit your marriage. It will make the garden in which you are planted that much better. That's what God's plan is. Follow his plan. It's a great plan. Follow it. He knows what he's doing. Uh, wives, your words, remember, they are to encapsulate respect and honor. You ought to give respect. You ought to give honor. We, we describe it. Tell him you, you respect him as a man. Tell him you're thankful for his leadership. Tell him you're grateful for his provision and protection. Express your appreciation for his heart. He may not always perform in the best way, but let him know you see his heart, his desire. And you're thankful that he desires to be a good husband, a good father, a good man of God. Both spouses are to express love. Love and honor and respect. Pray for wisdom. Pray for discretion to employ it. How you use it. Be a spirit-filled and led in the words that you share with your spouse and you won't regret it. Now, let's move on. As we think about the home, um, I want to add some things about our words and our relationship with our children or our grandchildren. And may I just say it, they are very important. Uh, your words are in your relationship with your children. Saying I love you as much as you can to your children is a good thing. Teach them it's okay to say, and it's a good thing to say, to reiterate it. Share with them supportive and encouraging and building upwards. In fact, the Bible has a lot to say about a parent and their words uh, and sharing them, how crucial they are in the life of a child, how they are the tools for shaping and molding and forming them into a godly young men and women. Here in Proverbs chapter number 4, if you'll notice it, you should be there, uh, page 394 in the Pew Bible, but Proverbs chapter 4, look at verse 20, notice it, it says this, my son attend to my words and incline thy ear unto my sayings. So attend to my words and incline thine ear unto my sayings. The edification that's supposed to take place from a parent to a child is described specifically in the scriptures. This verse speaks of it in generalities. 
Hey, listen, there ought to be words that a parent shares. There ought to be sayings that are frequently coming out of a parent's mouth to their children, instructing and informing them. And yet the Bible gives specific clarification as to what these words do or how they should be formed and how they should be used in the life of a parent. I like to put it in this idea. It's the idea of TNT. TNT. We know TNT is explosive, don't we? We know it can accomplish big things. It can blow up things. It can do things. So there's TNT that is necessary in the life of every child. A biblical TNT, if we may describe it. What is it? Well, a few verses give it to us. The first one is this. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. What's the word? Obviously, train. A parent's responsibility is to train. And listen to me, when we talk about training, training doesn't happen without words of edification. You can't be a parent if all you do is sit back and and keep your mouth shut and don't train. Many of us have been on a job before. We've had to be trained in a specific task. We've had had to be trained how to do something. You know, uh, even as a child, our our parents trained us, whether it be check the oil in a car, change the oil, change the tire, you name it, uh, around the kitchen, how to do the dishes, those training, 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 and it necessitates using words. Here we're obviously talking about a spiritual context. Training spiritually to know the Lord, love the Lord, and live for the Lord. Every parent's responsibility, a father and a mother. Could I challenge you this? Don't be a man of few words when it comes to edifying and training your children, Dad. At home is not the time for you to clam up and be quiet and shut your mouth. It's a time to open your mouth and train your children. To instruct them. To train them. Moms, could I encourage you, don't let the cat get your tongue when it comes to training and edifying your child. Don't throw in the white towel when after the second time, the third time, they don't get it. Keep training. Use your words. Keep training. The second part of this truth, the other side of it, is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. I want you to turn there with me. Deuteronomy chapter 6 in a pew Bible. It's page 122. Page 122, Deuteronomy chapter 6, specifically verses 6 and 7. There's TNT and uh, the first one is to train and it requires our words of edification deuteronomy chapter 6 look at verse 6 and 7 familiar passage familiar verses instruction to parents from god deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 6 in these words those are the words of god the very word of god the bible for us these words which i command thee this day shall be in thine heart Verse 7, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Man, what a statement, isn't it? That middle part of verse 7 says what? And thou shalt teach them diligently. So what's the TNT that every child needs in their life? Train and teach. Train and teach. Every parent, you've got to put TNT in their lives. You've got to train and teach. And boy... God makes it simple for us, doesn't he? He says, listen, hey, you want to know how to teach? He connects it so closely you can't deny it. He said, you need to teach, and how you teach is you talk. You talk. You talk of these things while you're in the way. When you sit in the house, wherever you may be, you you talk. When you lie down, when you rise up, you talk, you teach, you teach, you teach. Now, can I tell you, I think too often parents fail at being the teachers that God wants them to be instructing and teaching about life, about the things of God. 
It's not a youth pastor's responsibility. It's not a Christian school's responsibility. It's not a Sunday school teacher's responsibility primarily. Those people are helpful. They're good, encouraging. But my friend, you as a parent have a responsibility to teach your children. To teach them. And the things of God to help them understand. You are, as we might put it, you're the number one teacher of the things of God. It requires, it, it necessitates that we talk. Give words of edification, words that train, words that teach. To let your children, and boy, I hear this sometime, and, and it's such an erroneous philosophy, such a, a, a messed up philosophy when people say, well, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna let my, my children learn their way by themselves. Can I tell you, tell you, as parents, such a philosophy is both selfish and cruel. God has given you to train and teach your children. If we do anything less, then we are failures as parents. Parent, that, Pastor, that's kind of harsh. It's the reality of God's plan. That's what He wants. So I had such a privilege and, yea, a gra- grave responsibility to be a parent. To train and to teach. You. You are the source of TNT in their lives. You are the edification source that God wants to use to do big things in life. How can you be in TNT? Well, when you train and teach, guess what happens? God gets to blow up sin and evil and wicked imaginations in their heart. What does the Bible say is bound in the heart of a child? Foolishness, wickedness, sinfulness. It's there. Guess what your TNT gets to do? We like explosions sometimes, don't we? Your training, your teaching does exactly that. It blows that stuff out of their life. The Holy Spirit, obviously, in God's Word, the reality is our teaching and training is crucial to doing that. And what does that do? It clears the way for God to do great things. And here's the added bonus. God does great things in their life as you teach and train. And certainly it's for His glory. It brings Him glory in all things. But there's an added blessing. It gives you the thrill of your heart that nothing can compare. Third John chapter 1 and verse 4. I've shared it often. He writes this, I have no greater joy than to hear my children walk in truth. You see, teaching and training your child to walk in the truth of God's uh, word, man, that brings joy like nothing else. Uh, it's nothing can compare if, listen to me, if you are truly a child of God that loves the Word of God. See, maybe you're a parent here today and I want to challenge you. What's in your heart? What would bring you the greatest joy? Well, if Junior could grow up and they could have a good job and be taken care of and have a great house and, and, and yeah, a good family would be great. Boy, that would just thrill my heart. Can I tell you as a Christian, you know what that is? Eh, wrong answer. Well, if they could just grow up and they could be a professional athlete and they could just, they could excel in that, that, that would just thrill my heart. Eh, wrong answer. Boy, if Junior could grow up to be president, I don't know who wants that, but anyway, uh, if he could grow up to be president, man, that would just thrill my heart or her to grow up to be president. That would be fantastic. Thrill my heart. Uh, Wrong answer. If you are truly a child of God who wants the ways of God, can I tell you the only thing that ought to thrill your heart more than anything else is that your children walk in truth. That is what God desires for your children, and he gave your children you so you could teach and train them. 
You could be the tool of edification in their lives to bring them up. And my friend, can I tell you, there is no greater joy to a parent than to know their child walks in the truth of God's Word. You talk to some parents here who are grandparents now. And boy, man, they have children that are following God and living for God in their 30s and in their 40s and in their 50s. Man, what a thrill that is. You can keep all the money. You can keep all the fame. You can keep all the prestige, reputation, you name it. You can keep all that. But to find out your children are still walking with God, my friend, that'll fill your heart. How does it happen? Well, the Bible's formula is pretty clear. It takes TNT from you. Teaching and training so they walk in truth and it'll bring a thrill to your heart. It's God's plan. We as parents got to embrace it. And a huge part of that is our words. So today's takeaway, if we might say it as such, specifically as parents, is this. In whatever time and way that you have left, and I would encourage even grandparents. Hey, it's not your number one role. I get it. It's not your primary responsibility. True. But my friend, God has given your grandchildren you so you can still teach and train even when their parents have failed. So whatever time, whatever way I have left, I want to bring some TNT to my child's life. I'm going to look for ways to train. I'm going to look for ways to teach. If I'm God's designated source of it, not the Sunday school teacher, not the youth pastor, not the Christian school teacher, but myself as a father, you as a mom. If it's my responsibility, I want to look for ways to teach and to train. Not look over them, not ignore them, but look for teaching and training opportunities. And the good news is this. We've seen it already. God has already given us every tool in the bag that we need to do it. So I don't know how to be a parent. Great. I have a great handbook for parenting 101. It's there. You have every tool that you need because you're a child of God. You have the words to say. You have the provocation, the camaraderie, the companionship, the word of God. I could go down the list that we've already. You have all the tools through God and his Holy Spirit to achieve what he's called you to do. So don't back down. Don't shy away. And your words play a huge part in TMT. When it comes to training, when it comes to teaching, your words are huge to helping them... <laughs> When you talk about it, to help them walk in truth. The other list thing, and we're going to go through some of these very quickly for sake of time to finish the series up in two weeks. But the second thing was the next gift or the, excuse me, the next tool, spiritual gifts. Um, We've already established from the teaching of the word of God that each Christian has a gift to use for the benefit of the entire family, the entire body of Christ. We all have spiritual gifts. We understand that and to use within the local called out assembly of the church. However, what we often neglect is what a takeaway for today is this. Make sure you use your spiritual gift in your home. Make sure what you are called to share with the family of God in its expressiveness at the local church, you're doing with the part of the family of God that's in your home. Your wife, your husband, your children. Make sure you're using your gift. Can I put it this way? And I'm planning a, a message or a series of messages about spiritual gifts, how to know yours, how to use them, things like that. We'll get to it eventually. We'll speak more of it later. But suffice it to say, if you have the gift of encouragement, if you have the gift of hospitality, if you have the gift of mercy, the gift of serving, the gift of giving, the gift of teaching, whatever gift you have, you should start employing that gift at home. It's a good lab. It's a good practice. It's a good place to do it, especially with your wife and children. See, here's the problem. If you have the spiritual gift of mercy, 
And you, boy, you come to church and you demonstrate yourself to be merciful and kind to others at church, but you show little mercy at home. What's that going to do to your spouse and your children? What effect will that have? Here is where hypocrisy often resides and thrives. You see, we put on a smiling face at church. We minister grandly to others. We we use our spiritual gifts, but then at home, it's all gone. There's no smiling face. There's no ministering to the needs of others. There's nothing. Your gifts are non-existent at home. And my friend, that is not God's plan. And the family sees it. (laughs) Yeah, dad, he's all smiles and handshakes and he's encouraging and caring about others at church. And man, he cares what's going on in their life. And boy, he asks them and talks to them. And oh my goodness. But boy, we get home. Dad doesn't say a peep. Dad doesn't care about what I'm going. He barely talks to mom. And he just sits there in front of the television or the computer or goes out in the yard. And he, 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 he just doesn't do anything for us. Can I tell you, kids notice that. Same way it goes with a mom, a wife. Do you use your gifts at home? Do do you minister to those who are closest to you? Why? Because those who see it, those at home will become resentful. They'll become bitter. Maybe even blame the church for your inability to use your God-given spiritual gift within your home. Who's your first and primary ministry to? It's your family. Dad, it's to your family. Wife, mother, it's to your family. So minister to them. Don't neglect using your spiritual gifts at home. Now let's move on. The second order, the next tool, not second one, excuse me, I keep saying that, our prayers. Okay? Our prayers, we've seen this tool, it's so crucial. And I want to develop this a little bit. Okay? So one of the most difficult aspects about the teaching of the doctrine of prayer, uh, the thing to wrap our minds around when it comes to prayer, and using this tool, I think, is twofold. There's two sides to it. First one is this. Number one, God encourages us to pray about how things will play out in our lives and what the future holds. We are encouraged time and time throughout Scripture to do that. Pray about the future. Pray about things going on in your life. Pray 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 rightfully so in fact one verse that is typical of it philippians chapter 4 verse 6 be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication let your request be made known unto god okay so we are challenged in this verse and many others pray 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 we teach our children that as christians then we couple that with this okay in fact i want you to turn here turn to page 598 in the pew bible or mark chapter 11 mark chapter 11 and we'll look down at verse number 24 Mark chapter 11, verse 24. We're going to tie these things together. And I think it's crucial because prayer is one of the greatest tools you can use to edify your family, to edify your spouse, to build them up and lift them up. Your children, your church, your community, uh, you name the garden. It's a great tool to use and God intends us to use it. Mark chapter 11, verse 24. Notice we with me, if you will. Okay. So first of all, God encourages us to pray about how things will play out in our lives and what the future holds. Notice Mark 11, verse 24. Again, that's page 598 in our pew Bible. But notice what it says. It says this. Christ speaking. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. What a statement. So here's the second part of this. That sometimes it's difficult for us to wrap our minds around. It's this aspect. We can move God to action through our prayers. 
Now, now let's pause a second. Let's, let's contemplate and, and meditate on this for a moment because sometimes we get hooked up on this and we sometimes question, now, wait a minute, can I make the creator of all, the God of all, the sovereign God, the omnipotent God, can I, can I move him through my prayers? Well, well, I'm just telling you what's based on scripture that we just read. God says he's going to answer your prayers. Now, that takes a whole lot of faith, and, and I will readily admit that I don't understand why, number one, he would tell you and I to pray about everything, and then as we pray, he says, listen, you can move me to action. I don't understand why he does it, and I don't perfectly understand how it happens, but this is what I know. God's Word says it, and we can trust it. So, there is hope. Listen to me. There is hope. You have a marriage that's on the rocks. You have a marriage that isn't going so well that one partner or one spouse has given up. They're throwing in the towel. Can I tell you, prayer can change things. God said it. He said, pray about everything. In everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. God, I want my marriage saved. God, I want you to do a work in my heart and my spouse's life. You know what God says? You pray, desiring it, you're going to have your request. You believe it? You have faith? You have a wayward child that's away from God. You have a child who has a rebellious spirit. Can I tell you, our children, before they get saved, somebody uh, will we'll look at them and say, man, they act wrong. They rebel against us as parents. I'll say often, boy, they just need to be saved. They need God's regenerating work. And yet, even sometimes after children are saved, they get away from God. Can I tell you, prayer can change things. Pray for your children. Now listen to me. When we read these verses and we understand what Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 and there's many others like Mark chapter 11 verse 24 that we read. We understand these and in context of these, we also understand that there are some often neglected qualifications to prayer that the Bible teaches. In fact, this is how we put it. Sometimes someone say, Pastor, I've been praying about this and God just has not answered my prayer. And, and certainly God says no sometimes. God says yes. God says wait sometimes. We get it. That's all throughout the scriptures. But there are times that your prayers and my prayers are hindered because we don't match or meet the qualifications for prayer in the scriptures. Does God say pray what you ask and what you desire and, and you'll have it? Yes. Pray in the name of Christ? Yes. Those are there. But boys, you study scriptures, you begin to understand that there's some things in my life that have to be in line with God's word before my prayer is going to have power. And here's where we're often throwing the towel. We often get upset at God. Well, he didn't answer my prayer. Well, can I tell you, friends, sometimes you aren't reading God's word to know how you ought to pray. There are restrictions to it. You want your child to come back to God. You want your child to get saved. You want your marriage renewed. You want your marriage strengthened. And you want to do it through the tool of prayer. Well, there's some qualifications. There's some requirements of prayer. I'll just list a few of them. Number one, you have to pray according to his will. First John chapter five, verse 14. That's a requirement of prayer, that you pray according to His will. So you better seek the will of God. You know, I've heard many a spouse pray for their spouse to be changed. They need to change their heart and so forth. You know, sometimes God just wants to change that person's heart. <laughs> well, if she would do this and if he would do this. Yeah, but God's will is for you to change first. God's will is for your heart to be in tune with Him and to follow Him. Number two, according to His will, but not only that, but the Bible says in Mark chapter 11, verse 20, you ought to be full of forgiveness for those who have hurt or offended you. 
Wow. Your prayer ever been hindered because you're bitter? You're still angry at somebody? You haven't forgiven them? God's word says your prayer will be ineffective. My prayer will be ineffective if we have failed to forgive someone that has offended us or hurt us. Pretty big statement that comes right after that verse we just read. Mark chapter 11, verse 24 comes in verse 25. He says that, hey, you better forgive. Your prayer is not going to be powerful as it needs to be. Notice the next statement. He says this, humility and repentance of wicked ways. There ought to be no sin. Second Chronicles and many others, 714 speaks of this. There can't be sin in our lives when we pray. We have to turn and repent from our wicked ways if we want God to hear our prayer and act upon our prayer. Uh, the fourth one here. It has to be from the heart without vain repetition. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. Can, can we just be honest here this, this morning, transparent a little bit? Okay. How many of you have ever caught, don't raise your hand, just kind of raise your head, raise your hand in your head. Okay. How many of you have ever caught yourself praying for food and you're like, wow, it's kind of like vain repetitions. I've just said the same thing because I've done it for so many years. Okay. We're not, we're adults. We're, 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 we're holy and everything else. We're not going to admit to that. Okay. So sometimes when we're eating dinner, we'll pray. And one of my kids a few minutes later said, do we pray? You ever ask yourself, do you ever catch yourself saying, man, man, I, I'm not really thinking about what I'm praying. And it could be for food. Could, Dear God, I thank you for this food. Bless it to our bodies. And, and we're just praying. Repetition. Listen, God wants every prayer you and I to utter to be from the heart. Okay. And, and, and we are well aware that there are many denominations and many people who just repeat a prayer. Hey, God said in his word, those prayers don't hold much weight. It needs to be from the heart. Not with vain repetitions. From the heart. Notice what else he adds to it. He says this. Those prayers need to be from lives characterized by righteousness. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. A righteous... Our lives characterized... So I've got to look at my own life to make sure I am living right. Remember Deuteronomy chapter 6. He says, listen, these words need to be in your heart so then you can teach them... Notice this. The ability to change my marriage, uh, to save my marriage, to save my child. You name it. It's a faith that doesn't waver. Notice the next one, the statement here. It necessitates. It necessitates the request is free from selfish lust and desires. James chapter 4 verse 2 tells us this. A request that is free from selfishness and desires. James chapter 4 verse 2. Then last but not least, and certainly we could add much to this, but there's diligence in frequency. First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 7. Uh, pray without ceasing. There's also the reality of Luke chapter 18. The widow with the judge and her continual coming to him and so forth. The challenge is for us in understanding this, that God wants diligence in our prayer. He doesn't want you and I just to pray once and say, eh, well, it didn't work. He wants us to repeatedly come before him. Now, I want to challenge you in light of these, and there's many others. Yes, it's a big list, but it is so important that our lives are in line with the Scriptures when it comes to prayer in these ways. Because it paves the way for this kind of powerful prayer. Listen to this description of prayer, and it's been used many times, so I don't know who to attribute it to, so I've read it many times. Prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscle 
of omnipotence. It's a great statement. Prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscle of God, the muscle of omnipotence. Prayer, we put it this way. What does prayer do? Prayer activates the power of God. It's put in simple terms. Prayer activates the power of God. How powerful is God? He is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. He is without limit to his power. Now, here's the great news as we tie together the truth before. Okay, so prayer activates the power of God, and then God moves in response to the prayers of his people. God moves in response to the prayer of his people. John says if he hears you, then we know he'll act upon it, that he'll answer it. And we know he hears. God in heaven hears our prayers. And that is not only the result. Here's another result. Prayer lines you up properly with God. His plan. What he's doing. His task. So, okay, let's put it in context of praying for our spouse. We know the will of God for our spouse. That they would be holy. That they'd be godly. They'd have a great testimony for God. That they would be a positive influence on our own children and those around them for God. In marriage, in the home. And we're called to pray for one another knowing that our prayer can move God to action. So we can conclude this. There is no child, there is no co-worker, there's no unsafe person, there's no spouse too far gone, too hardened, too backslidden, too unreachable for your prayers in the power of God. And my friend, that ought to give you hope this morning. No one is beyond it. If this is what prayer is, and this is what prayer does, then it gives us great hope. So what's the challenge for us today? What's our takeaway? The takeaway is very simple. You prepare yourself as a vessel of prayer. That's all those lists of things. Hey, I pray according to God's will. I make sure there's no wickedness. I make sure I'm, my life is characterized by righteousness. And it makes me a vessel of prayer. And then I pray for my family. I pray for those around me. I pray for the unsaved. I pray for God's will to be done in, in my spouse's life. To, to graciously move God to action. Through our fervent and consistent, biblically in line prayer for our wife or our husband. You pray for your spouse's strength. I think that's crucial on a daily basis. You pray for their strength. I think you ought to pray for their continued joy. Hey, do we ever face anything on a daily basis that tries to steal our joy? Normal task of life. Pray for your spouse that they don't lose their joy as they serve the Lord. Pray for their protection and pray for their growing dependency upon God. Pray for their love for God to grow and increase. The simple question is this. Listen, are you praying for your wife, husband? Have you neglected this tool in the toolbox? Or, or you, 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 okay, she's sick, I pray for her, but, but that's about it. I, I don't pray much else. I, I don't pray for, for God to work in her heart. I don't pray for her to be godly and holy. I don't pray for her influence on my children. Honest to God, I really don't pray like I should. Do you pray? If it is one of the greatest tools that God has given us, ought not that be the most frequent tool you use? See, I've worked with different guys in construction or electricity and, and everything, or electricians and plumbers. And man, it seems like all of them have a go-to tool. The tool that they go to. The one that they use more often than not. And it's worn and it's well used. Hey, can I tell you, friend, prayer ought to be the most well used, most worn tool in your toolbox when it comes to your marriage. When it comes to your family. When it comes to the garden in which you are planted. To edify and build up through prayer. Praying for your spouse. Wife, are you praying for your husband? Do you pray 
what you know God's will to be for him as a man, as a father, as a husband, as a believer. One of the things that a speaker spoke about and will be done just a few weeks ago. You know, you, you know what? <laughs> spoke out. They said this. Listen carefully. He said, I think it was maybe their couples. Bank, I'm not sure. He says, listen, he encouraged us. Make sure you pray with your spouse. Make sure you find some time to do so. I know it's hard. I know we are busy. I know some of us are morning people and some of us are night people. So I know it's hard as a couple that you say, man, it's hard finding time. We're so busy. Listen, hey, I do know this above all of it, though. I know things don't happen unless you make them a priority and you purpose to see them done. You say, Pastor, I, I just don't know if we can do that. I don't know if we can find time. To, I, I, five minutes of prayer together before you go to sleep or in the morning as soon as you wake up. I say, Pastor Henry, boy, he's out the door before I wake up and then he's in bed before I get to bed. And, well, we just can't do that. Hey, can I tell you, there's a great new invention. It's called the phone. On lunch break, call your wife and pray together on the phone. Oh, Pastor, come on. No, you come on. If prayer is one of the greatest tools to build your marriage, why aren't you using it? And we know this so very well because we experienced in a local church, when we have prayer meetings and everything else, on a Wednesday night, my friend, when we pray together, it knits our hearts together. And so husband, you ought to lead your wife in prayer together. You ought to take the lead. You ought to say, we're going to pray together. If it's a minute or two minutes, it's five minutes, we're going to pray together in prayer because prayer can do great things. And if you're going to pray, you better make sure everything's lined up ahead of time so you can be that vessel of prayer. Hey, when God calls you and I to fulfill 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, wherefore, brethren, comfort you one another, edify one another, <laughs> he wants you and I to take up the tools, but we got to be ready to take them up. Time does not permit us, but you and I both well know that prayer is vital in the lives of your children. If you're going to take the TNT and incorporate that into the lives as we talked a few moments ago, you need to pray for them constantly, continually. And I just share something very personal. Okay, the Lord just worked it out and I give him all the credit because this is how it works. I have six children. There's six days between every Sunday. He did that. I didn't, by the way. We have picked one day a week specifically to pray for each one of our kids. Throughout the day, as God brings them to our heart and our mind, just pray. It's not that we don't pray for the other children in those days, but I love it. I, in fact, I think we even had a missionary here in a letter talk about how they even every Monday of a, of, a, of a month, I think they have four kids, every Monday of a month, they pray for their child. In fact, they fast during that day. Hey, friend, pray for your children. Make it a priority. Pray for your spouse. Pray together. You know what's going to happen? If you and I are doing right according to God's word, we're praying according to God's word. Guess what happens in my marriage? Guess what happens in my family? The power of God becomes on display. And I don't know about you, but my family could use the power of God. My marriage could use the power of God. I hope you'll choose it today. Will you take up the tool? Will you rise up and build?